Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. This morning I will be reading Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 39, and this will be the New King James Version. Then when the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisees' house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisees' house, brought an apoplaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of a woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. It's always a good Sunday to start out with hearing of three who came to faith in the Lord. Uh, Camden, Willow, and Cameron, we're proud with you, we're proud for you, and God is good, and all the time. Okay, now next week, I'm going to need you to sound like you really believe it. Kind of a little bit of a cloudy day, and you're maybe not quite fully awake. But also, uh, I want to add to that, good job moms and dads, right? It, it's always, you know, we're, we're always happy when someone comes to faith in Christ, but at least in this case, uh, because of how young they are, you know mom and dad have played a significant role in their lives uh, and have done a good job leading them and helping them to come to know Christ better. So y'all keep it up. I know sometimes the parents aren't always given uh, the credit that they're due. And, uh, you know, sometimes parenting... It ain't easy and it ain't for sissies. And I know ain't ain't a word and I ain't going to use it. Okay. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father of heaven, we're so grateful for the day. And Father, as we look at it, we do pray that you'd send your rain upon the earth, at least here where we are. Our farmers need it. And Father, we depend on them. So it's looking like it's going to come and we just pray that you'll provide for us. We thank you, Lord, for the many luxuries we have. We thank you that we can worship you in this place unmolested by anyone. And we thank you we have those liberties that are recognized here in this country. We pray, Father, for these new Christians, for Camden, for Willow, for Cameron. We pray, Lord, that you will bless them as they begin a new walk. We pray that they will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the good work that their parents have begun, we pray they will keep on doing and that we as their church family can be there to take part and encourage them along the way. We pray, Father, for all who are new in faith, we pray that they too would grow. We pray, Father, for those of the faithful who may just be struggling, maybe with life events, maybe even with their faith. We pray for them, Father, that uh, you'll open a door for them to grow more faith or to develop a deeper faith. Father, for those that are spiritually sick, those that have chosen sin, 
among the members of the body of Christ. We pray for their repentance. We pray, Father, that something could happen in their lives to turn them to you and away from their sin. We pray, Father, for those that have not yet named Jesus. We pray that you will provide for them the means to obey. And until that time, we ask for your grace and mercy to preserve them until that hour that only you know of. Be with us as we look to your word this morning. We pray that it will guide us in not only how to live, but also how to think and how to treat others. And we pray all these things, your will to be done, in Christ's name, amen. A consumer review of 2021 noted that Americans have a combined national debt of $15.31 trillion. That's a lot of money. Uh, that makes the average $96,371. That's still a lot of money. The, the sources of these debts are mortgages, HELOCs, home equity line of credit, uh, student loans, auto loans and leases, credit cards, and personal loans. When you narrow it down, the average Kentuckian has close to $70,000 in debt. If you're anywhere from 25 to 56 years of age, you probably have in excess of $100,000 of debt. Baby boomers, those aged 57 to 75, I was surprised by this actually, but uh, they have an average of $95,000 in debt. Most of us are probably wondering what, what does debt have to do with Scripture? And it's as we read this story and we come to find out about the grace of God, one of the things that we learn about forgiveness, Jesus likens it to the cancellation of a debt. Now, <clears throat> I want you to imagine for a second that we're in one of these age groups and say we have that debt. You know what your debts are if you have them. And hopefully you know that when you signed for that debt, that you promised you obligated yourself to pay it. That's your debt. It's not mine. It's not anybody else's. That's yours. I've got mine. You've got yours. Okay. But now when you look at the national debt, the average per person is $91,490. So I want you to look around some of these babies that have just been born. That's what they owe. That's their share of the national debt. And that just, that's not right. That is just not right. But I want you to imagine for a second, you've got your consumer debt, you've got your national debt. Now let's say the debtors all of a sudden said, you have a month, whatever to pay. How many of us could satisfy the debts in that amount of time? Probably not many. Now you'd say, Stephen, nothing like that would ever happen. Uh, did you live through the 80s? There is a brother in Christ from a previous congregation where we served and he was a contractor, he built homes, that's what he did. And in order to do that, he took out business loans in order to build the houses, then he'd sell them, he'd pay back the loans, et cetera, and so forth. But there was a huge issue with banking in the 80s, and his creditors came and they called in his debt. And he had a certain amount of time to satisfy that debt. And he said, Stephen, I had in excess of, and he told me the number, it was a big number because he was running a business off of it. He said, I did not have the money to pay these debts off. I said, what'd you do? 
He said, we lost everything. I lost my business, most of my, most of all of uh, his, his personal savings and earnings. He lost even his home. Had a wife and three kids too. Because he didn't have the money to satisfy that debt. And he had a different outlook about debt after learning that lesson. But I only tell you that because there have been times in recent history, and I think within the last 40 years is pretty recent, that something like that has occurred. But let's say for the sake of argument, our portion of the national debt and our portion of all our consumer debt is called and we have a certain amount of time to pay it. But the majority of us, if not all of us, do not have it to give, to satisfy that debt. Now, when you and I think about sin, that's how we have to think about it. We have accrued a debt that cannot be paid. But the good news is, someone has stepped forward out of the graciousness of his nature and of his soul, and he has said, I have paid the debt. You don't know a thing. And that person is Jesus. We sing a song often, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a great new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Leading up to this story, there are several accounts of Jesus going about and performing miracles. And it may have been these miracles that led Simon the Pharisee to invite Jesus to his house for a meal. Now, verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. But if you look at Jesus's interactions in Luke up until this time, he doesn't have the greatest rapport with the Pharisees. Uh, we see in Luke 6, 7, the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. So this audience is watching him to find a problem. And Luke chapter 7, verse 30, the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. But obviously not all the Pharisees feel that way because we know about Nicodemus from John's gospel who received the Lord welcome, welcomingly. But then verse 37, while they're sat down eating, behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now, you may be wondering, how does a woman just walk into somebody's house uninvited? If that were our house, right, you would expect a knock on the door and you'd go see who, what you say, can I help you? And you'd go, well, is Jesus here? I'm, I'm having a meal with him. You want me to give him a meal, right? But, but things are different in that time and that culture. She found out where he was and she was able to walk right in. And she doesn't disrupt the dinner. She walks right up behind him. Now, the way that they sat, you know, we have tables and chairs. And they would have had cushions, probably in a circle. And they would have likely laid on their left side, on their left arm, in a reclining position. They would have eaten with their right hands. So his feet would have been behind him. And she doesn't come up to the middle and place herself on the cushion, but she just stays right back at his feet, kind of out of sight. But everybody's sitting around. They see this woman come in and that she has this 
alabaster flask of oil. Now, in the text, all we know is she's a woman in the city who's a sinner. We don't know what her sin is. You probably have a note in your study Bible that suggests she may have been, as I will put it delicately, a woman of the streets. We don't know. There's no specific term or phrase that suggests that. We just know she's a sinner. Maybe that is what her sin is, but we can't say with any degree of certainty. All that we know is that she's a sinner. Look at verse uh, 47 in this same chapter. Jesus says, therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So, okay, there's no doubt that she is a sinner. Don't know what type, don't know what it is. But when Luke sees her, and when everybody sees her, they know who she is. They know the type of woman this is. You have two characters here. You have this sinful woman. We don't know why she's a sinner. Sometimes people wind up in sin because of harsh circumstances. Uh, Maybe she was destitute and she had to do things that none of us would ever think we'd have to do to take care and provide for ourselves. Don't know. Maybe she had faithful Jewish parents and she was just a rebellious daughter. That's possible too. But now you have Simon the Pharisee. This is a guy that dresses a particular way because of his station within Israel. This is a guy who has been given extensive study to the law, to the prophets, and the rest of the writings. He is a scholar. He knows his scripture better than anyone could hope for. The only person who knows it better than him is the one he's invited into his house. So Simon was probably brought up one way, and maybe this lady was similar or different from. But you have two different personalities. Simon would never dare dream of living the life of a sinner. It doesn't mean he's without sin. It just means that he lives a very religious life. He's focused on God and the promises of the scriptures. This lady, however, well, she's not a lot like Simon. Her identity has ranged from Mary Magdalene in medieval times to Mary of Bethany. Again, scripture does not say that this is Mary Magdalene, uh, nor Mary of Bethany, just a woman of the city who is a sinner. Verse 38. She stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Some people have interpreted her unbound hair as proof of promiscuity uh, or socially immodest behavior. Also the grabbing of Jesus' feet and these other things. The one thing I that I've noticed is that what she does is actually not indicative of her sin, but is indicative of worship. When you look at scriptures like 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, in like manner that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly clothing. 
Uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 3, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Now, some of you right now are wondering, well, I've got braided hair. I've got on gold. In the Roman times, when a woman braided her hair, it was very ostentatious. That's one of those fancy words you learn in university. And I paid a lot, so I'm going to use it. Ostentate, gaudy. It would, you know, you can come in and be modest, but you don't have to be overblown about it. This isn't a runway, right? We're not being judged on our appearance. So, you know, tone it down is what Paul and Peter are saying. In our day, however, when you look at these scriptures, they're not telling people to cover up. They're telling them to be a little more modest and not so gaudy. In our times, however, we got to say, would you cover up, please? A few congregations ago, you may not like this, and well, it is what it is. There's a brother I learned that he, he used to serve on the Lord's table faithfully, was always willing to help, but he quit all of a sudden. And uh, one of the deacons that usually arranged the folks that made sure this was taken care of, that we had served, he said, I, he just up and quit. He said he's not waiting on the Lord's table anymore. And I was like, well, that's out of character. So I went to him. Brother thus and such, I'm like, is everything okay? I heard you don't want to wait on the table anymore. He said, I should not have to come to church and when I'm serving the Lord's Supper, have to see bosoms sticking out all over this church because women don't know how to cover up. I said, I agree. That's why I quit. I wrote this in the bulletin article, and I'll just touch on it a tad here. It's not the main purpose of this. But the way that we dress as Christians reflects not only our self-respect, but also reflects our fidelity to the Lord. And we either reveal our dignity or the lack thereof by how we dress. We were very strict with our children about this very issue. Society throws enough sexualization at us, we don't need to add to it. And if we have named the name of Jesus, we certainly don't need to be the type of people who go around prancing, showing off things that should be reserved for private. Okay, I'll put my soapbox away for now. But this lady, with her unbraided hair, she may have very well been worshiping in that, in that way. And I've done going ahead and I was supposed to look at some other passages. Did I skip one? Yeah, no, I didn't. I forgot to put that slide in there. Okay. Uh, let me get you Matthew 28, verse 9, if you'll, if you'll look back at that, holding your place here. Let me, I, I got to back up a second. Okay. A lot of times when it comes to talking about modest dress, it always seems to be focused on the women. It applies as much to the guys as it does to the girls. And now we're going to walk out of here, and wherever we go, there are going to be people that aren't Christians that are going to be dressed a certain way. So then it falls to us to be disciplined, to avert our gaze, 
to, as Job said in Job 31 verse 1, make a covenant with our eyes that we should not gaze upon a maiden. We would, we would all, I, well, I just very bluntly would tell my daughter, if you dress like trash, you will attract flies. And it's the truth. And the same, as much as we have urged our daughter to be modest in her dress and our son as well, we have also tried to urge our son to guard his heart. It, it's not a one or the other, it's a both and. I, 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 don't, I didn't make that clear, but I wanted to make sure that that was clear. Matthew 28, verse 9, uh, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. So the same word, worship, or the same gesture here of coming and grabbing his feet and worshipping, we see this lady doing the same thing. She's grabbing his feet, her hair is unbraided in a modest fashion, and she's worshipping the Lord. Now let's look at the rest of the story. Verses 39 through 48. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, if, if we believed as he believed, a sinner touching a holy person defiles the holy person. That's how they saw that. Um, but look at how Jesus replies. By the way, he's not said that. He said this to himself. He's not said it out loud. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There is a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you have rightly judged. So there it is. There's a comparison of the cancellation of a debt. Now I want you to notice the woman, the sinner, she owes that greater amount. Simon, the Pharisee, he owes the smaller amount. They both owe. And that's something we got to remember. My debt may not be as big as another person's debt, and another person's debt may not be as big as mine is. Simon has this small debt of 50 denarii, and she has this debt of 500 denarii. And Jesus is making the point, you're both debtors, but you can both be forgiven. You've judged rightly. Verse 44, then he turned to the woman and he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. By the way, the fact that she was cleaning Jesus' feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair, putting this fragrant oil or uh, perfume on them, I want you to understand something. She was not cleaning clean feet. These folks wore sandals, it's very dusty and dirty. You can imagine walking how dirty your feet might be. And it was custom when you entered a house that either the head servant, uh, not, not the head servant, the lowest servant or the head of the house would provide you with water to clean your feet so you'd come on in. Well, Simon hadn't done this. So this girl is at the, this woman is at the back of Jesus' feet, dirty feet, and she's cleaning them. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Now, as Westerners, you know, we would say, 
you didn't shake my hand. I, I dare imagine if uh, one of you invited another gentleman over, you would not expect a kiss. As a matter of fact, you might thump him on the nose if he tried to do it or more. But in the Eastern culture, a kiss was a greeting. And I'm just as fine being Japanese and going, hi, how are you? You know, don't have to touch it all, can shake your hand. Don't kiss me, whatever you do. But they, they would have done that in that time, in that culture. Simon didn't greet him with a kiss, but she hasn't ceased to kiss his feet. When you think about someone kissing another person's feet, you think of someone who's groveling, don't you? But let's keep reading. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. He's not saying that Simon was incapable of loving, but he is saying because of the debt of this woman, she loves greatly. Simon doesn't love as much. He doesn't love as much, but he does love. One of the sayings of, of my preacher, my last preacher before I went into ministry, he would often say, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. So I want you to think about it like this. I think this sinful woman and Simon both have the capacity to enjoy heaven. But I kind of think the sinful woman will enjoy it a little bit more than what Simon will because of her sins. I think that the apostles will enjoy heaven more than I will because of what they sacrificed and what they endured for the sake of that good news. So we can all enjoy heaven, but some may enjoy it more than others. Take it like this. If an elephant and a frog came up to a pond and they both drank until they were full, who's fuller? You could say the elephant is because he's a lot bigger but the frog's full too. So they each have different capacities, the frog being smaller, the elephant being greater. I'll give you one last illustration of this, then we'll move on. If uh, some of you probably like going to concerts, and if you, say, wanted to invite your preacher to a concert, first question I'd have is, who is it? If you said somebody like, Luke Bryan or Florida Georgia line, I'm okay. You go right ahead. Have fun, maybe. Is it possible? Uh, but now if I invited you, say, to uh, an orchestral performance at the Skirmerhorn Center in Nashville, there'd probably be a lot of folks go, what? But two people can sit at the same performance and one can go, man, is this thing going to be over? And the other can be going, I hope it never ends. Now, the one who enjoys it, enjoys it because they know more about it. The one who dislikes it, 
Part of the reason they dislike it may be because they don't know as much about it. So the point I'm making is the more that you and I know about God, the more that we know about Jesus, the more that we know about heaven, the more that we know about the will of God in the scriptures, the greater the capacity is going to be for us to enjoy it whenever the time comes and by the grace of God. Okay, verse 48, then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those that sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You and I are probably one or two. We should all strive to be like how Jesus is in this story. But maybe some of us are more like Simon, the Pharisee. Maybe some of us are more like the sinful woman. But wherever we are in life, if we can bring ourselves to identify with the, uh, the sinful woman, there's definitely something that we can do as she did, and that is to honor the Lord in the same way that she honored the Lord. First of all, she did so with her tears. Uh, regardless of her identity, she wept over her sins. She mourned. But yet then she weeps with joy because she's been forgiven. When we go to a place that sin no longer bothers us, that it doesn't even bring us to the point of shame or even weeping, we've gotten to a bad place in life. It shouldn't be that familiar. But if this describes you, evaluate your spiritual standing. Uh, is it possible that you no longer take seriously what needs to be taken seriously? So she first honored the Lord with her tears. Secondly, she honored the Lord with her thankfulness. She had no shame. Some people might have been intimidated by everyone seated around that, that table. They might have been intimidated. This is Simon the Pharisee's house. I really want to go up to the Lord, but I'm not going to do it here. She had no shame about groveling, about getting down on her knees, about kissing the feet of the Lord. Uh, she did have thankfulness. And that's what led her to do what she did. Some people would have been so concerned with appearance. How's that going to make me look? I've had someone, uh, I can't remember if it was here or previous congregation, but they said, oh, we never could have responded to the invitation publicly. And I said, why is that? Well, because it would have brought shame on mom and dad. That's, now, some of us don't get that. But there are folks of a different generation that, well, if, if your adult child in their 40s and 50s responds to the invitation, that's a reflection on how you've parented. And that's why this person is, previous congregation, that's why this person was telling me this. I thought, how sad that is that a Christian can't go before the family of God and request their prayers, their support, whatever the case is. No one will be more thrilled at our lack of repentance and the white knuckles holding the pew in front of us than Satan himself. That unanswered invitation, either publicly or privately, to put on the Lord in faith 
and in repentance, confession, and baptism. No one is more thrilled when you say, not now, than Satan. Keep that in mind. Finally, she honored the Lord with her treasures. When you think about the fact she brought this alabaster flask of oil and, uh, or perfume and she anointed it, uh, when you look at a similar store in Mark 14, 5, this could have been expensive stuff and maybe it was the most precious thing that she had. But yet she honored God with her tears, with her thankfulness and with her treasures. But here's the key to her salvation and to ours. Verse 47 She loved much. The first step of salvation that you and I need to have is to love the Lord our God with all our strength, with all our mind, with all our well-being, our our whole being, rather. Love God. When you love God, His commandments aren't burdensome. But we have, some of us as Christians, only thing we've ever been used to is you got to do this or God's going to get mad at you. Love God. She loved much. Maybe she had heard, if you back up to verses 16 and 17 in this chapter, it says, Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and the surrounding region. Maybe she heard the report of what Jesus was doing, of what he had done, how he had wiped the tears away from a widow whose son has died. And what does he do here? He wipes away the tears of a sinner who, as we sing, came broken to be mended, who came wounded to be healed. She came desperate to be rescued. She may have also learned about what Jesus did that we read about in verse 22. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Maybe she heard about that. Whatever it was, she understood that Jesus is the prophet and Simon doesn't. She is a believer, not the Pharisee. Her humility granted her forgiveness from the Lord. Well, all that Simon got was humiliation. She loved much. So when God pours out His love in His Son on the cross to die for our sins, that's God showing us how much He loves us. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God doesn't just tell us, He says, I'll show you. So as the love of God has been poured out in Christ and His sacrifice, the response, the proper response to that love given is love shown. And that love is shown in our faith in Jesus as the Son of God, our confession without apology of that fact, our turning away from sin, being buried with Christ. And it doesn't end there. That's where it only begins. It's in living the best as we can day after day, faithfully to the Lord. I know you struggle with that. I do too. I told somebody once upon a time, I had a much better chance of going to heaven before I was a preacher. Of course, it was a joke, but there's a little bit of truth to it too. 
Y'all should really have to deal with Christians sometimes. Change your perspective. So, okay, all that we ask is that you love as she loved, that you have faith, that you obey. We've had three young'uns do that this past week. That's great. That is so great. But you don't have to be young. Forgiveness of God is to any who need it and who want it. And we offer a time right now. We'll stand and sing a song. You'll have an elder there, an elder there. I'll be down here. Derek will be leading us in this song. It's an opportunity for those who want to publicly do just that. Return God's love with your love and faith and obedience. Or for those who need to come who want to ask for forgiveness, who want the prayers of the church. I promise you, this is a judgment-free zone. God judges, not us. And he's a pretty good judge, I'd say. So if you want to publicly respond, if we can assist you with a spiritual need, just make your way to the front while we stand and sing together.